look, as we have been looking at the Lord's Prayer in this 40 days of prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, says this. This then, Jesus says, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And as some translations conclude, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Today we will be looking in our series on the 40 days of prayer. We've been using that prayer and we have been uh, looking at topics and we may have to skip here. We've been looking at topics of prayer as worship, prayer as kingdom partnership, prayer as petition, prayer as confession, and today in the fifth week, prayer as spiritual warfare. Before we launch into that, I just want to take a moment just to have a, a family real quick discussion. And that would go this way. One of the things that I absolutely love about what God is doing in our midst is the, the life sharing that takes place, the conversations, the laughing, the sharing what's going on, the having time over Panera and, and other times during the week. And that is a wonderful thing. We celebrate that. But that is not the most important thing about coming to church. The most important thing about coming to church and the reason that we gather is for these times of worship first and foremost. The times in his presence like we just experienced in song and in prayer and in testimony of being able to celebrate and declare the goodness of the Lord. And so I would encourage us with this. As much as fellowship time is good and wonderful, May that happen before 10.30 and after the service because one of the things we've been noticing is a lot of stuff happens out there 10.30, 10.35, 10.40 and we're missing some of the beginning parts. And just as a reminder, all that is wonderful but all of that should flow out of our worship and that should be the reason first on Sunday morning that we gather together. So just encourage us to make a priority to whether it's on your phone or your uh, watch or listening because the worship team starts a pre-service song at 1025. If you hear music, that's a sign to be like, oh, it's about five minutes to go until the service starts. And that's a good time to be able to say, all right, let's talk about that after. We'll finish that conversation after, unless it's like really, really, hey, let's wrap it up in prayer and we'll come back and talk more. Let's get in and let's worship the Lord together. So just encourage us to do that, though I love the fellowship time that's going on too. All right, so today, prayer as spiritual warfare. We're going to be utilizing, as we have been utilizing some outlines uh, with our larger alliance family in these messages, um, utilizing a message outlined by Kevin Pies, who is the chaplaincy coordinator for our Christian Missionary Alliance larger family. And so as I've been thinking and praying on prayer as spiritual warfare today, uh, my mind has been taken back a lot to my middle and high school days 
while all my friends at school were listening to Guns N' Roses and Metallica and those kinds of bands, which I really wanted to listen to, but I knew were not going to be the best for me personally, my youth group and my friends there and youth pastor gave us some alternatives and bands like Striper, big Striper fans here. Yeah, okay, we got some Striper fans. For some of you, you're like, who in the world is that? YouTube it, you'll be amazed. Uh, but another one is Petra. Petra. And Petra had a ton of albums, and they had, you know, the, the high, you know, screaming, singing kind of ver- singing. And it, it, amazing lyrics. But one of the songs that has just been on my mind this week is the song, This Means War. And so if you're wondering, what in the world is This Means War?, Get ready. Here is a seven second clip of This Means War. Ready? Go for it. This means war. All right, so you can definitely see the generational things going on here. I love a multi generational church because there's some that are like, yeah, some are like, uh, some are like, what is going on right now? And that's okay. That's just a little bit of my middle school and high school childhood. That was in my mind, this means war. And for some of you, you hear that. And, you know, the song is intentionally to be loud and to fire you up. And it's all about the victory that's been won at the cross of Christ. And the victory is sure and the victory secure in Jesus. It really is a strong, theologically accurate song. It's good. But some of you are going to hear that, and you hear that, and you're like, yeah, let's go take it. Let's go fight war. It's spiritual warfare. And you're, like, pumped up. You're like, can't, you're like, come on, bring it, bring it, bring it. Let's go. And for those that that's your response of let's go fight, let's go get into the war, spiritual warfare, bring what the enemy has for us, it's a reminder also on the, the flip side, which is it's, that's wonderful to go that direction. It's a, it's a reminder, though, that we have nothing on our own to fight with, that we need to stay dependent on the Lord because the battle is not ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. Now, there are others of you who are going, this means war. I'm running as far away from the war. I'm going to go find a hole or a cave somewhere and hide from the war. Some of you, that's, that's your, your feeling. That's your reaction. There are a lot of people that will have that reaction. And, and for, if that's your reaction, the reality is the moment you became a Christian, actually the more, moment you were born into this world, you were born into warfare between God and between Satan fighting for the work of God and the redemption of human beings here on this earth and the glory of God being known throughout the nations. You were born into that. And the moment you come to Christ, that warfare just accelerates because now you've been rescued and now you're in this fight to rescue others who do not yet know that they need to be rescued. And so if that's where, where you're at, just that reminder this morning that we are in a war. And even if we don't want to be in it, you're in it. it, it you haven't chosen it, it's chosen you. And so to be strong and courageous as, as Joshua had to be reminded before leading the people into the promised land, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go and to meditate on the word of the Lord day and night and not let these words leave your mind and your mouth.
And so either way, there's this battle, and we may approach it, and you may find yourself somewhere in the middle of, yeah, I'm not that strong in the fight, but I'm not fully running. Somewhere, wherever you find yourself, there's a battle. It's why Jesus taught us to pray. In verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one, whichever translation you use. This morning, we're going to look at two enemies to fight that Jesus gives us to fight and how to utilize prayer in spiritual warfare. So the first enemy, the sermon notes are in your bulletin. They're very simple fill-ins, but there's more notes you can, you can have here on the screen. But the first enemy is this, the flesh. Enemy number one is the flesh. And so Jesus teaches us to pray to withstand temptation. To pray to withstand temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Temptation's all around us. And as we'll see in a moment, it's rooted in our flesh or our sinful nature. And so Jesus teaches us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. It's important for us to know as we begin this look at enemy number one, the flesh in this prayer, lead us not into temptation, that it is not that God is leading us into it, that we would, he's tempting us to sin, but rather it is a prayer that we would be aware of the temptation that wars against us and is coming at us because of this truth in scripture, that we must know, let me go back one, that we must know that God does not tempt you. God does not tempt you. So it's not, God, don't lead me to a place where I'm tempted. It's, God, make me aware of the temptation because God does not tempt you. Here's what James chapter one, verses 13 through 15 says. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Let's unpack this for a moment. Clearly, James says, God is not the author of temptation. God is not evil. He is exceedingly and abundantly good. There is no evil within him. And so God cannot be tempted by evil. We don't have to worry, oh no, is God going to sin? Is God going to be tempted and give in to evil? He cannot be evil because, or cannot be tempted by evil because he is exceedingly good. And because he is exceedingly good and cannot be tempted by evil, he will not also tempt us with evil. He will not be and is never the source of temptation. It's very important for us to recognize that. So if God is not the source of, of temptation, if he does not lead us to places of temptation, let's just leave it where in that scripture there. If he does not leave us there, if he does not lead us to temptation, where does it come from? What is the source of temptation? James says, when each one is tempted, it is by what? Our own evil desire. Temptation, and that is a sobering reality. Temptation comes from my own and your own evil desires. 
We have a way of blaming other people for our sins. So-and-so made me do it. We have a way of blaming the devil for our sin. We'll see in a moment that the devil will increase the power of temptation, but he's not the one to blame. The devil made me do it. We can't say the devil made me do it. We need to come face to face with the reality that when temptation comes and when we give in to sin, we can point at no one else except ourselves. At the end of the day, there may be all kinds of factors and reasons why, and we can identify those, and it's good to understand those sometimes so we can try to uh, eliminate some of their influence. But at the end of the day, when each one of us is tempted, it is because of my own and your own evil desires. We have to reckon with that reality if we are going to win the war against the flesh. It starts with us. Temptation attacks our desires. It attacks our weaknesses. It attacks our vulnerabilities to bring us to places where we would sin. It will often take desires that are good, desires for food we need to eat, desires for love we need, we are commanded to love and be loved, desires for significance, we all need to know that we matter. Desires for safety. We, we need a refuge. We need a safe place. Sexual desires, on and on and on. And it will take desires that God has put in us and will distort them. The brokenness of sin in our flesh in our, or our sinful nature will bring us to places where good desires become sinful. Food Desire for food becomes gluttony. Desire for love and significance becomes people-pleasing. Desire for safety becomes control. Desire for sex becomes sexual impurity of all different kinds, just to name a few, and we can go on and on and on. These desires within us that God has made, when sin has come and distorted and messed all of that up, when we sin, our own evil desires. And there are some of us that are more prone to these desires than those desires but it is our evil desires. And oftentimes what the enemy will do is come and will amplify those desires. But the issue really is ourselves. And so James tells us that it is very important when we understand that each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed the space that we need to catch it, the where the war is won or lost, and whether we will give in to temptation and sin or whether we will say no to temptation and live in purity is at the place of desire. What we do with the desire, how aware we are of the desires that are there. Because once desire has conceived, James says, it's on its way to giving birth. Once that desire, we've in, we have we've just gone ahead and and we've thought through, oh yeah, that desire would be nice if I gratified it. It would be nice if I acted upon it. Once we have done that, it has now gone from desire to conception. And once conception happens, it's going to lead most likely to the birth, to the act of sin. And sin always leads to death. 
It may not mean in death, it may not be literal physical death or even spiritual death, but it may mean in that situation, something's going to die. Your innocence is going to die. A relationship issue is going to die. God is a God of resurrection and restoration and healing and forgiveness, but something, when sin comes, is going to lead to death. And so it is crucial that we recognize at the place of desire, before it gives birth, before it's conceived and gives birth, that we catch it in the desire phase, when we're tempted to give in to desire. And so prayer and worship become those places where we become hyper aware of the desires of our hearts. We become hyper aware of when things are coming at us that we are able to process it and go, no, I see it for what it is. I see that this is a desire, a sinful desire. When someone speaks against me, what I want to do is lash out rather than forgive. I want to get angry. When I hear a juicy detail, I want to go tell somebody about it. When I see that thing that I really want, but I know I don't need or I don't have the money for, and I go and just decide I'm going to figure out a way to get that thing. It's at the point when we see it, when desire begins, that we, when we're in those places, as, as we were reminded in worship, may, it be the, may worship and prayer be the thing that we wake up with, and may it be the thing that we go to bed with, and everywhere in between, may you increase worship and prayer, because the more we have worship and prayer, the more we are able to pray, lead us not, make us aware of the temptations, the more effective we will be in saying no. Know that God does not tempt you. But there's something else we need to know about temptation. God does not tempt us, but also God will provide a way out. God will provide a way out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man or mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God will provide a way out. Paul says that temptations and sinful desires are a common reality. They are a shared human experience. There is no temptation that will ever come against me or will ever come against you that someone else in humanity has not already dealt with. Sometimes we think, oh, this is just me. There's something with me. This is my thing. No one else has this. You know why we don't realize that there's no temptation that is common, that, except that it's common to man, because usually we don't talk about our temptations. If we talked about our temptations and relationships with one another, we would begin to say, oh, you, you're tempted by that too? Oh, you struggle, you have a desire for that too? Oh, you know what? Maybe I'm not as messed up as I thought. Maybe I'm just broken like everyone else, and it's the same Jesus that has helped them that's going to help me. And prayer and worship and deliverance and saying no to sin that's worked for them, that can work for me. Because no temptation has seized you except what's common to man. You're not the anomaly. You're human. And so everyone will be tempted. But James says no temptation 
has seized you except what is common to man. But here's the good news. God is faithful. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Just want to say real quick that sometimes people will say, God will not give you X situation more than you can bear. Circumstances. He will not allow difficult times in your life. He will not bring tests into your life. He will not bring challenging circumstances in your life that you will not bear. That is one of the most erroneous scriptural bad uses that you can find. What's the context of this passage? Is it that you will not have suffering, that you will not have difficulty, that you will not have financial issues, that you will not have relational issues that are more than you can bear? Is that what it's saying? No. Saying you will not be tempted, tempted to sin. He will not allow more temptation than what you can bear. He will often allow more than we can bear so that we throw ourselves upon the mercy of God in circumstances. But temptation, he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. And when temptation comes, he will always provide a way out. So that we can stand up under it. Every time you're tempted, God has an escape plan. God has an exit ramp. Sometimes it might be like Joseph. In the Old Testament, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife to come and to have sex with him, he ran. He fled to the point where she got a hold of his cloak and she turned it against him. God used the whole thing for good in the long run, but he did what was right. He knew that if he stood there and said, no, 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 that he was not strong enough, so he fled. So sometimes the escape plan is to run away from it. Sometimes the escape plan is to put the phone down or put an internet filter on your computer. Sometimes the escape plan is to know that you know what, I can't handle this kind of food. If I do, I'm gonna overeat all the time. So I'm gonna ask somebody in my life to make sure that if there's something in my house, I'm gonna take care of it. Sometimes the escape plan is I'm gonna get accountability on what I spend money on. Or sometimes the escape plan is I gotta talk to people and I know I'm gonna have to tell them a very detailed account of how I've been talking about other people. Whatever it is, Lord, what is the escape plan that you have so that when desire comes, I can escape before it? I can run away from it. But other times, as we'll see with Jesus in a few moments, it's facing the temptation head on and using scripture and fighting. Lord, what is the escape plan? I can't give you this is the escape plan at all times, in all situations, this is how you do it. It has to be relational. You and God and sometimes bringing other people in. But Lord, what is the escape plan, because Lord, you have said that you won't allow temptation beyond what I can say no to. And when I'm tempted, you're gonna provide a way out so that I can say no to it. So every time we resist and every time we war against the flesh, we have the opportunity to build character in us, to grow in our faith. Every time we are tempted, it can be an opportunity for growth. Stuart Briscoe said, every temptation that comes our way is an opportunity to go wrong, but it's also an opportunity 
to go right. Temptation can be a faith-building opportunity. Enemy number one is the flesh. Enemy number two is the devil. Enemy number two is the devil. Jesus teaches us to pray for the Lord's protection. Pray for the Lord's protection when he says, and lead us not, but deliver us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. The prayer of deliver us from evil or the evil one is a prayer of rescue. It's a prayer of admission that we are unable to stand against the devil on our own. It's a prayer of dependence on Jesus. It's a prayer of dependence on his power, on his authority over the enemy. Because the reality is, you and I, and we must know this, you and I, secondly, are vulnerable on our own. On our own, we are vulnerable. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, Be self-controlled and alert, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil is a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion on the prowl looking for someone to devour. Do not neglect to take him seriously. The enemy is considerably more powerful on our own than we are. Outside of Christ, outside of living in dependence on the Lord, the enemy is considerably more powerful than me and you. But here's the good news. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18 says this. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is speaking to Timothy, talking about some opposition that he was receiving in his ministry. And Paul, dependent upon the Lord, says, here is the good news. On my own I am not able to, but the Lord... Notice, does he say, I will rescue myself and I will fight against and I will get out of every evil attack and I will bring myself safely to the heavenly kingdom? Does he say any of that? No, he says, the Lord will. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and the Lord will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. We need to understand that on our own, we are vulnerable. On our own, we cannot fight, but we have one who stands for us, the Lord Jesus. By the power of his spirit, we will be able to stand against our second enemy in this spiritual warfare, the enemy, the devil. So know and understand that you are vulnerable on your own. But know also how to resist attacks, how to wage war, how to have battle against the devil. How to resist attacks. And the way that we resist attacks is how Jesus did. And so if you would still be in Matthew 6, if you want to just flip back a page, we'll be in this in not too long once we get back into our series on Matthew. But Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 through chapter 4, verse 11. So we just hit a few high points here to see how Jesus battled the devil. In chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan, and Jesus comes to him to fulfill all righteousness. After Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, 
And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love in him. With him I am well pleased. How did Jesus resist attacks? He began with the filling of the Spirit. Jesus, in his humanity, needed exactly what you and I needed. He needed to be filled up and empowered by the Spirit of God. If Jesus, in his humanity, needed the Spirit, how much more in our humanity do we need the Spirit? And he has given us the gift of the Spirit. And so we must be people who are running after the filling of the Spirit on a regular basis. We need the initial filling of the Spirit. We believe that it's a separate work from salvation where the Spirit of God comes and baptizes us or fills us, but it is not a one and done. It is always there for us. Be continually being filled, Paul says in Ephesians 5.18. Be continually being filled with the Spirit. Resist attacks like Jesus did. Be filled with the Spirit. But in this 40 days of prayer, it is also necessary to see what Jesus did next. Then Jesus was led, chapter 4, verse 1, by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. For Jesus, he had to go through this. For you and I, Jesus is not going to lead us to the places where we are tempted, but he had to. Jesus had to face the devil in his humanity. He's separate from us. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit in the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus, how did he resist? He was filled with the Spirit, but he also fasted and prayed. Imagine 40 days, no food. 40 days, isolation, silence, solitude, just you alone with God. 40 days, fasting. 40 days, praying. Fasting and prayer have an amazing ability to keep us aware of our sin, of our desires, of temptation, and of the way that the enemy wants to empower it. Fasting and prayer are not just things that we should do. They are things that are critical for us to do, to be aware and to resist the attacks of the devil. Be filled, fast and pray, and then we notice how Jesus fought. He fought with scripture. Chapter four, verses three through 11 says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are, tempts him on his identity. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. After 40 days of not eating, Jesus is certainly hungry. Jesus has all power, all authority. Jesus can do anything. Tell these stones to become bread, Jesus. The desire for food. The need for food. But Jesus answered, it is written. He appeals to scripture. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. He fought with scripture. Second time, the devil, verse five, took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of, son of God, again, attack on his identity. He said, throw yourself down. 
For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Even Satan knows the scriptures. Even Satan wants to twist the scriptures. He's going to twist truth. He's going to lie. He's going to try to deceive us, even by using good things like scripture. But Jesus knows the true intent of it, and he says in verse 7, it's also written, scripture to scripture, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And finally, verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor, the one that Jesus would inherit after the cross. All this I will give you. He said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to me, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus fought with scripture. In verse 11, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Jesus tempted on his desires. The devil will often attack the places that we are most vulnerable to. The places of our flesh, of our desires that are most powerful and will pull on our flesh strongly that we would give in. Sometimes he will take truth and twist it. Sometimes he will try to get good things to get us to sin. However it is, the scriptures are our means to fight. Jesus fights the power of the Spirit after fasting and prayer and with scripture. Fight like Jesus fought. The reality is that the devil is a real foe. On our own, if we seek to fight as we fight, or as we can fight on our own, he is too powerful for us to overcome. But he is not undefeatable. He is not unresistible. When we take our stand in Jesus, and in his power, and in his authority, we are able to resist. Our two enemies, the flesh and the devil, May the Lord, as we pray this week, give us increased victory over these. Mara's gonna lead us in a time of um, prayer uh, to be able just to process this together. And if we can go back one slide, maybe leave that last slide up. We wanna take some time uh, to worship after that as we would pray together. Um, so we just wanna take a moment to reflect on what we've heard and what we've been learning. Um, some things that stood out to me was that, you know, in, in these battles, we have the power of our Father. We can't be self-reliant, but through the authority of Jesus Christ, we do have that power and that empowerment from the Holy Spirit. So what I'd like to take a moment to do together is as we think about the things we've heard, maybe something stuck out to you. Maybe it was um, about being self-reliant or about being fearful. Um, maybe it was feeling dragged away and enticed by uh, temptation. Or maybe something has power over you. Or maybe it was feeling warfare on you from the evil one. Well, all of these things are real. If there's something that stood out to you, something that comes up in your life, or 
in the life of somebody that you are ministering to or a family member, I just ask that you would bring that to mind and just bow your head with me. Because what we want to do when these things come up is claim the authority of Jesus Christ over them. Holy Spirit, God, we trust you. Lord, we know that whenever you bring things to our attention, it's because you love us. It's because you want to work through these things with us. Lord, whether it be self-reliance, whether it is fear, God, whether it's temptation that we have succumbed to or haven't yet, or whether it's the evil one who seems to be knocking down our door. Lord God, we claim the authority of Jesus Christ, the King, the most powerful one, Lord, the one who reigns over death. Temptation, fear, the powers of Satan are nothing in comparison to the power of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord God, we claim the authority of Jesus over fear. Lord, whenever we are tempted, we claim the authority of Jesus Christ. We look at his perfect life, and God, we run in that direction. We run away from that temptation and towards him. And Lord God, when we feel overpowered by the work of the evil one in the world, in our families, or in our personal lives, God, we claim the authority and the power of Jesus Christ to work good in every situation, to restore, to redeem, and to bring love and grace into everything. Lord God, we pray now that you would reveal to us as well the next step forward, God. Lord, that as we face temptation, as we recognize the desires of the flesh, or as we face spiritual battles against the evil one, God, that you would show us the next step forward. Lord God, if these things have forced us to take a step back from you, if we've chosen to take a step back from you because of them, Lord, would you show us the next step forward? God, if we need to be in our Bibles each morning, Lord, if we need to be spending more time in prayer, God, if we need to be fasting, in this season. Lord, if we need to be practicing silence or solitude, if we need to be journaling our prayers, if we need to be shutting down our technology, Lord God, would you just reveal to each of us individually 
how we can continue to move closer to you. How we can look in the face of Jesus and run towards him instead of looking at temptation and moving towards it. Jesus, all we want is you. And Lord, we come together to magnify and exalt your name, which we do when we claim this amazing authority you've given us and when we worship you, even in the midst of struggles. So Lord God, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. And now we, may we praise you together, remembering that yours is the kingdom 